Today's scripture reading comes from Malachi chapters 3 and 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for... But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for those that led us in worship this morning, Lauren, John, Jeff, what's your name? Trent and Katie, just kidding, I know your name. Debbie, thank you for reading that so beautifully. It's amazing how a passage with so much like, ooh, 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 it can be read so beautifully. And I, uh, it's, it's, um, the next time we read this passage, I might have somebody that's kind of uh, like angry read the parts in it, you know. Uh, But anyway, well done. I am so glad that you're here. Um, You know, I am excited about this ending to our look at Malachi. The prophet Malachi prophesies to the people of God called Israel. They're talked about in the Old Testament. You may be new to the Bible and God chose a a group of descendants of Abraham to to make himself known to. He made some promises to them like, uh, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And from your people will become will come someone who will be a blessing to all nations, and his name is Jesus. So this is the story of the Old Testament. But not only that, but but uh, he required a promise from them. He said, "I'm going to bless you if you obey me, and if you choose to disobey me, then you will be in trouble. You will suffer." And so when Malachi prophesies, Israel is in a real rough streak. They've continued to disobey God. They're suffering because of it. 
And it's not the first time that it's happened. In fact, the Old Testament is really a story of a group of people who were chosen by God. And they, when they obeyed, they were blessed. When they disobeyed, they suffered. And then they would turn to God and repent. And then God would rescue them. And it goes back and forth. And all throughout the Old Testament is this thread of grace and mercy and the longing for a deliverer who could follow the law of God perfectly, who could fulfill the law. And so when Malachi prophesies, he's actually uh, writing in a time, this is the last book of the Old Testament, and there's a period of 400 years where we do not hear from God through the biblical writers uh, for 400 years, and there's this longing that's stirred during that time for one who will come and deliver people. And he will be Messiah, and his name's Jesus. And he's talked about, of course, in the Gospels, the first part of the New Testament. Well, Malachi is writing, he's oracling. Everybody say oracle. I hope you've added this word to your dictionary, and I hope you'll be using it at work and whatnot. And as I said in week number one, I looked it up in the Scrabble Dictionary. It is a word when you oracle somebody. Malachi oracles the people to shake them from their apathetic, careless, spiritual lives. Do you ever feel like you need that? Kind of like you're just kind of like dragging along spiritually, and it's kind of like you need something to kind of get you moving. Well, this is what Malachi is doing. They've committed to God's laws, but they're far from God. And the issue, as talked about in chapters 1, 2, and part of chapter 3 that I talked about last week, is the quality and quantity of their offering and worship at the temple. And so they were suffering. Now, as we get into this part, and we're actually going to be taking the first few verses of chapter 3 and then part of, or all of chapter 4, as we begin to get into this part, we have the question before us, are the people listening? Right? Uh, are the people listening to what Malachi is saying to them? Because he uses some really pretty strong language. And could it be that they heard him and they thought, yeah, I need to do something about that, but they didn't feel the urgency to do what they needed to do? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever put off something that you needed to do? Raise your hand. All the honest people should raise their hand. Like, you know, I've been putting off, I need to go to the dentist. Dr. Wernley is in the house somewhere. I saw him earlier, unless he's working back with the kids. Oh, he's right there. So I'm confessing that, brother. He's, he knows that. Um, can I get a checkup on the way out? Actually, save me my $5 copay. Um, I also need to go for my annual physical. And I've not done it. I've put it off. You know, I've, I've got messages from the doctors. I've gotten emails and texts. You know, that's the thing. Is like my phone is like regularly reminding me that I've been putting off doing something that I need to do for my own well-being. And uh, the question is, why have I been putting it off? I'm not making this up. This is true. Why have I been putting it off? Well, I'm too busy. Maybe that's it. Right? I've got other things in my schedule that are a higher priority. I'm afraid of what they might say. Right? I'm afraid that the dentist will say, oh, cavity. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not convinced that if I go to get a physical that it will really make a difference. I think things will change. But this week I made both those appointments. You know why? Because I got a wake-up call this morning that life is fragile. I attended two funerals this week. One of them was for uh, Trent, who was playing the guitar, uh, his papa that passed. 
The other one was for the father of a close friend of mine. And I went to these, and I was reminded, as I always am when I go to funerals, that life is short. Those three words are so important. They're so important. In fact, uh, they're the first three words in a book that I've written that's about to come out, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's. Life is short. Those are three powerful words. And the reason that I have made an appointment on Friday for those visits to the dentist and to the doctor is because I realize how fragile life is and I don't want to waste any time. I needed something to kind of get me going to do what I needed to do. And this is a lot like what Malachi is doing. He's, he's giving them this speech. He's messaging them. He's calling them. He's inviting them. He's begging them. He's warning them. He's all of these things. And the people might have said, like, I'm too busy. I don't want to change. You know, I don't think it's as important as you think it is for me. But they're about to be awakened they're to the brevity of life with what Malachi is going to say in the passage we read today. He's going to begin to talk about the day of the Lord. Now, the phrase, the day of the Lord, is a phrase that is really robust theologically, and there's no way in the time we have together I could tell you all that it means, but I do want to help you understand some of what Malachi is saying to the people because it applies to us. Our lives pass so quickly, and so if there's any part of you that says, I'll kind of put off the things that I know the Lord wants me to do, the decisions the Lord wants me to make, the repentance that I know I need to do, that my hope and prayer as we talk about the day of the Lord, that you'll be, you'll be reminded of how brief your life is and how you must urgently respond to the word of God for your well-being and for his glory. God is attempted repeatedly to get their attention. Look there in chapter 3, verse 1. Introducing this idea of the day of the Lord. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the phrase, the day of the Lord, hints at the arrival of the God-man, Jesus. But it finds its fulfillment in the end times. So we've Experience some of the effects of the day of the Lord, but really the day of the Lord is this robust, important theological idea to describe the end times and some really dynamic things will happen, which we'll talk about in just a second. He talks about it again in chapter 4, verse 1. This is the link why I'm taking these two passages together. For behold, the day is coming. In between these two passages, I preached on it last week, and I would encourage you to get a listen to it. So all that Malachi says to them is building toward him talking about a day when God will enter humanity in a sudden and swift way. This phrase, day of the Lord, is used 19 times in the Old Testament. It's used five times in the New Testament. And it's alluded to in other passages in the, in the uh, Bible. So the sense in which this idea of the day of the Lord is used, it's used to communicate eminence, nearness, expectation. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, wail for the day of the Lord is near. So like, wake up, repent of your sin, act urgently because the day of the Lord is near. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. Pretty clear, (laughs) the day of the Lord is near. Joel chapter 2, verse 1, let all who live in the land 
tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Joel chapter 3 verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So this idea of the day of the Lord is meant to communicate the way that the Lord works near us suddenly and swiftly. There is in the Old Testament a near and far fulfillment as I've already mentioned, which is important, much could be said there. The New Testament calls it a day of wrath, a day of visitation, and the great day of God Almighty, Revelation chapter 16, verse 14. The scriptures indicate that the day of the Lord will come quickly like a thief in the night. And therefore, Christians must watch, be watchful, and be ready for the coming of Christ at any time. So the day of the Lord, as I said, hints at the arrival of Jesus and is fully realized in the end times. And when the prophets speak of the day of the Lord, it is meant to shake the people. You know that, that, um, that thing sometimes that we need when we need to act, we need to move, we need to respond, we need to turn away from something, turn towards something. It's that it, the intent of Malachi is to talk about the day of the Lord so that the people will, will be moved forward. They will go from staying where they are to becoming the kind of people God wants them to be for their well-being and for his glory. This is the idea that we get when we learn about the day of the Lord. So this day of the Lord, and if there's a part of you that starts to go, ooh, this sounds like it's a big deal, then good. If not, this will all be over in like 20 minutes. Um, But the day of the Lord is something that is meant to come with some weight, some power, just a few things that I want you to understand about the day of the Lord. And we'll read these, see evidence of this in Malachi's prophecy. First of all, it's about authority. Everybody say authority. authority. So the day of the Lord is a day of, of a, God's demonstration of authority. There are certainly some that believe or don't believe like what we would say that the Bible teaches about who God is and, and wonder whether or not he exists or whether or not he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he has power. But as Malachi says, the day of the Lord will come with authority. There will not be a question as to who is in charge. Chapter 3, verse 2 of Malachi's prophecy. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to to the Lord. Who can go to the priestly group of Israel... And, and purify them and refine them. Who can move so powerfully that the, the, the silver, the, 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 the metals representing the people will be purified, figuratively, not literally. So who can do this? It's God Almighty. So the day of the Lord is a day of authority. In the battle between evil and good, it is God who will be victorious. He is the ultimate power to whom is given the final word against all anyone who should stand against him. There will no longer be a question about who reigns supreme. I wonder if you're getting moved a little bit this morning. The day of the Lord is also about justice. God will undo havoc caused by sin and make things right. You know, when I read stories about what's happening in Charlottesville, you know what it stirs in me is like, Lord, come. Come and make right all that's been broken by sin. 
bring your justice. Chapter 3, verse 5 of Malachi's prophecy. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The day of the Lord is a day where God will act and restore all that's been broken by sin. It's a day of justice. Evil will be trounced, and evildoers will in the end receive their due. God will settle his accounts with all that is godless and anti-God and arrogant and prideful, all those that are hostile against the Almighty God. On the other hand, the day of the Lord also is a day where those that are in Christ will experience God's blessing and something that's even greater than what was experienced in the Garden of Eden. The day of the Lord is to strike fear in those that are anti or against God, but it's to stir hope in those of us that are reconciled to God because of faith in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is about authority, it's about justice, And I want to be clear, the day of the Lord is also decisive. There will not be any ambiguity or confusion when God acts on the day of the Lord. For behold, the day of the Lord is coming, Malachi says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. For behold, the day of the Lord is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. A lot can be said about this passage, but what you need to understand is it's decisive. There's not ambiguity or confusion when the day of the Lord comes. The final outcome of the day of the Lord will be that the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 17. All of these things that Malachi is saying about the day of the Lord they give us perspective. I don't know about you, but I so easily lose perspective. I begin to focus on the present and the immediate situation at the cost of a perspective that includes this. There will be a day when God acts swiftly with authority and justice, justice, and in a decisive way. And that day is coming. It's coming near. And every decision I make today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on, until the day of the Lord, ought to be with the perspective that the day of the Lord is near. We so easily lose ourselves striving at work, and certainly it's important to work hard. I'm not minimizing that. We lose ourselves in earthly relationships. And again, those are important. It's important to cultivate healthy relationships on earth. We lose ourselves in temporary pleasures. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying things that are temporary as long as it's not sinning. But the day of the Lord and the nearness of it ought to give us a sense of urgency to responding to the Lord, to repent of areas in our life that are not right with God, 
to be about the things in the world that God is about in the world, like fighting against racial injustice, feeding the hungry, clothing those that are naked, sharing Christ with people who have not yet been reconciled to God because of the repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. These are the things that the day of the Lord stir in us because they are at the heart of God. So two things that Malachi says happens when you live with the perspective that the day of the Lord is near. Two things, fear God, remember the law of God. So I'm going to tell you these two things and I'm going to pray and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. First of all, fear God. It's an interesting phrase in the Bible. We see it throughout and I always have to explain it because When I hear the word fear, maybe you do too, I think about something that's evil, broken, or dangerous. My default fear is the kind of fear that drives me away from things, you know. But Malachi is not talking about this kind of fear. Malachi is speaking of a kind of fear like what I hope my children feel towards me. It's a reverent fear that recognizes authority and strength. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, It's the kind of fear that I hope that they feel when I speak to them as an authority or when I give them that look, when I raise my voice. It's not out of hostility towards them, but it's out of love and care for them. It's the kind of fear that I want them to have for me because... It's laced with love and grace and mercy. We fear God not because we're afraid that he's going to do something harmful to us. Instead, we fear God because we know that he is awesome and wise and powerful. Here's the thing. Some of you know you need to make a change in your life, and you're not doing it. Why? Because you don't fear God. If you were completely honest, you think you're kind of still a really big deal and that you may or may not need God in your life. We fear God whenever we recognize that you are awesome. You are powerful. You are wise. And I know you love me and want from me the best life that I could ever live. And it will be for your glory, oh God. It's the kind of fear that, that draws us into the Lord. Although I hope that my children have a healthy fear when a, of me because of authority and strength, my children also know that my lap is always available to them. You would even, after this service, see my kids running up to me for a hug, which I'm thankful for. But it's, this is the kind of fear that the Father is talking about when he's talking about fearing God. It's the kind of fear where we know like you're awesome and you're powerful and you're strong and I cannot wait to just be in your presence to climb up into your lap. Malachi says in chapter 4 verse 2, but for you who fear my name. Right, this is for those of you that fear the name of the Lord because you know it's awesome and mighty. There's a promise. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, which is basically meaningless to us, right? (laughs) We don't have calves in the stall. But you can be creative. 
You'll be excited and you'll be filled with joy. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is the promise for all those that fear the Lord and live with the sense that the day of the Lord is near. Also, he says, what are we to do? Remember the law of God. Look there in chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses. And just for those of you that may not know as much about the Bible, uh, Moses is the leader chosen by God to receive the law, the Ten Commandments and other parts of the law at Mount Horeb. And so he received this from God. Also, there was a covenant made through Moses between God and the people. So when he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. It's about something more than just a list of rules that they're to obey. It's about the promise of God to them that if they walk with him, they will experience blessing and victory and power and fellowship with him. Remember the law. Let's think about this idea of remembering the law. You may remember the story of the Texas Revolution. I did not grow up in Texas. I grew up in Oklahoma. But I have heard the story of the Texas Revolution. In December 1835, the Texas Revolutionaries took the town of San Antonio. Raise your hand if you've been to San Antonio. All right, good. Um, The fortress there was called the what? Alamo. It was guarded by 150 men from Santa Ana with Mexican forces. Um, I'm sorry. It was guarded by 150 men when Santa Ana with Mexican forces came against the town February 26th the next year. With 32 reinforcements, the Texans held off the enemy until March 6th when the siege ended in a bloody hand-to-hand combat and every Texan was dead, dead, including Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett. The courage of these Texans inspired the rest of the resistance, and six years later at San Jacinto, the Texans defeated the Mexicans under the awe-inspiring cry, Remember the Alamo. Why would this cry, Remember the Alamo, mean anything? Why would it inspire these people to battle, to fight, to win? Here's why. Because the past exerts power in the present through the gift of memory. Memory is power. In real life, memory has tremendous power to inspire and guide. So when God says, remember the law, it ought to ring in the ears of Israel the same way that remember the Alamo rang in the ears of the Texas revolutionaries. It means don't forget what God has done. Remember the law. Reminds, remembering the law reminds us that God has intervened in our lives to show himself as worthy of worship and it will inspire us to remain faithful. So when Malachi says to Israel, remember the law, he's saying, remember the time in your life that God worked supernaturally and that ought to inspire you to live in the present with the day of the Lord in mind. That ought to push you into a place where you're willing and wanting to repent of sin and turn towards God because you know the day of the Lord is near. Remember the way God has worked in your life. Many of you have experienced God working in your life in supernatural ways. Isn't it so easy just to forget the power of rescue? 
Some of you were dead in your sin. All of you at some point were dead in your sin. Some of you can remember very vividly what it was like to be far, far from God and the kind of life that you lived being far from God. But God is rescuing you or has rescued you. Remember that, and that ought to compel all of us to repent of things today that we need to repent of, of ways that we're not bringing to God a quality uh, life of worship and and, um, ways that we know that God wants to correct our lives. Have you ever put off doing something that you know you need to do? That's how I started this. And what we all need to do is go to God and say, God, is there an area of my life that does not live with the day of the Lord in view? I want to repent of that, turn away from that, because life is short. For those of you that are here that have not yet crossed over the line of faith, the Bible has good news, and you've heard it several times in different ways. We can turn to God an acknowledgement of our sin, believing that Jesus, the God-man, died on a cross as a final sacrifice for our sin. So if you'll turn from sin and turn towards Jesus, there's a mysterious exchange where your sin goes to him and his righteousness comes to you. So no longer are you an enemy of God, but you're a friend of God. You're a child of God. You are, in fact, reconciled to God. So no longer does the day of the Lord have to strike fear and dread in you, but instead it ought to stir hope and a sense of promise. How about you? The day of the Lord is near, Malachi tells Israel, because there's some areas of their life that they needed to get right before God. And certainly it would make us think about our own lives and say what is in my life that is not right with God and what am I going to do about it if you know there's an area of your life that's not right with God and you're not motivated to do anything about it then consider the teaching the day of the Lord is near God will come with authority justice decisively to make all that's wrong right. Does it stir in you hope or does it stir in you fear or dread? What is that one area of your life that you say, you know what, I need to do this, but I've just been putting it off. Well, let this teaching about the day of the Lord be the bell that's ringing, the alarm that's sounding to get you to act and respond to God. It is for your good and for his glory. You know, for Israel, uh, they were on the other side of the cross than we are. And what we see from them is they cannot on their own be righteous before God. This is why Jesus came. This is why we repent of sin and turn in faith towards him because he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that is pay the ultimate penalty for our sin. I hope you'll respond to that and you'll live in that because the day of the Lord is near. Let's pray on and think about these things.
What is the area of your life that you know God is ringing the bell on? Through different ways, He's sending messages to you. He's calling you. He's inviting you. He's warning you. And you keep putting it off. The day of the Lord is near. You will not live forever. fear for some of you that you'll continue to ignore the voice of the Lord like those Israelites did, many of them did and you will suffer for it but it doesn't have to be that way it is for your good and for God's glory that you heed the words of God today With your head bowed, I would just ask you this question. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? I'm not talking about did you go to church as a child. I'm talking about in your own heart. Have you truly given your life to God, accepting his free gift of salvation? If not, today is the day. I beg you, I plead with you. Give your life to God. If you have crossed over the line of faith, maybe you know there's an area of your life where you're not living into your confession of faith in Christ. And God continues to send messengers. Continues to send invitations. Continues to send words. And you just keep ignoring them. But today, today's different. You want to turn away from that. To get help with whatever you're struggling with. Just right where you are, you can tell God. And maybe it feels like it's for the 1,000th time. Tell God, God, help me to obey you in this area. Help me to turn from sin and to turn towards Jesus. And then make a commitment right there where you are to take a step into the life of the church so that we can link arms with you and care for you and you can care for us as we continue to struggle and repent of sin and to let God work in our lives. God Almighty, we love you and we respond to your holy word this morning. God, forgive us for being slow to respond when you speak. We know that when you speak, O God, through your word, that it is a gift of mercy and grace. And God, I pray that this community of people 
would celebrate these moments where we're, we're, where we're repenting, we're turning away from sin, we're turning towards you. And God, all of this is with the, with the perspective that the day of the Lord is near. The end is near. We want to live with that view. We just love you, and I pray for response during this time. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.